Everybody, and welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of cooking, the show of tragic fires, Austin, Chicago, and tequila. Today we chat with the vice president of the USBG for Austin, Texas, and a great brand ambassador for Casa Noble Tequila, Mr. Aaron Kolitz. You know, I didn't know Aaron very well until recently, and I got to tell you, the dude is super smart, really there for you, very supportive, and really loves this industry. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Aaron Kolitz. Sometimes, okay, okay. you know, you know, you have those kids who are military brats, you know, the, the quote unquote military brat phrase, yeah. um, who, who definitely, you know, want to follow in mom and dad's footsteps and go into the military and which, which parent was in the military? Not, not, no, neither no. one of mine. No, no, really? mine okay. was, mine was pure, um, education standpoint. Interesting. Um, you know, I went to San Antonio Academy, which is a, uh, middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started there in fifth grade, went for sixth and seventh grade. Oh, wow. Um, and then went to Texas Military Institute after that, which is a middle and high school, uh, and then did five years there. And the education was incredible. Yeah, um, that was the biggest standpoint that I take back from it today. Obviously, looking back at it now, it wasn't my favorite because it was a military background and yeah. an Episcopal school, and I'm not a very religious person. So being around that was kind of mm, not my favorite. What were, were the asper- Ultimately, were you destined for the military? Is that what no, you're thinking? No, no, no. Just the the pure it was education, a pure education and, standpoint. Yeah, yeah. The structure, yeah, I was I was kind of a wild kid. Mm. Um, so having that structure around was really great for me. Um, actually got into, you know, back in San Antonio Academy, I started playing lacrosse in fifth grade. And oh, that, no was, that was a big part of my life as well. Um, played lacrosse from fifth all the way through college. Yeah. Um, played intramural. Uh, tried to walk on to the D1 team, but I uh, couldn't really do it. Interesting. Uh, but played intramurals, and that's ended actually how I found the restaurant business um, as a full career. Because I did go to college to major in restaurant, hotel, uh, and tourism management. Yeah. What is this? Did you? All right. So this is the other thing too that was interesting. It was hard to piece for me together as if I was making some kind of investigative documentary mm-hmm. about <laughs> Aaron Coles, right? So did you move to Colorado for a bit too? Uh, yeah. So that's where so I was in Denver. You, okay. I was okay. at the University of Denver uh, yeah. in the hotel and restaurant tourism management program. Yeah. Um, I found the restaurant business when I was in 15. Um, I started washing dishes at Easy's Brick Oven and Grill. Yeah. Uh, my dad at the time was uh, one of the uh, major owners. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. So that's how it ties in. Yep. That's how Easy's ties into my whole career. Was he in the restaurant industry or nope. kind of an independent investor in that kind of A couple thing? of his friends were some of the investors. Yeah. And then one of the guys wanted to back out. So his friends asked him if he wanted to buy buy their shares. No kidding. Uh, it was kind of a, you know, Easy's has really been a staple in San Antonio for 30 years. Yeah. Cappy Lawton is the guy who started it. Man. Um, and he's always been a good family friend. And my dad got into it, and he's still he's still one of the majority owners today. That's great. Yeah, man, it's so interesting how it moves. But so, this what was the moment in the hospitality piece when you're saying, you know, actually maybe I'd like to invest in this as a career? Um, I was a senior in high school. Uh, my dad wanted to pursue a little bit more into the business. Yeah, uh, had a friend who was a really amazing chef in San Antonio who approached him about investing in his restaurant. 
uh, ended up investing, mm-hmm. and it was called Luna Blue Cafe. Um, I went from washing dishes to being on the pizza prep line and grilling burgers at EZ's oh, yeah. to putting on a suit every day and going around as kind of the junior in training manager when I was a senior in high school uh, at Luna Blue Cafe. And it was one day during service, and we were packed, and I was standing there with my general manager who was kind of giving me the ropes. And yeah. um, he, uh, we were just standing over the dining room looking at the guests, eating and enjoying and laughing. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, you know what? I can do this. I love making people happy. Oh, that's great. Um, so it was just at that point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch my major because I was going to go into real estate, which is what my dad did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to kind of take over his business and, at some point. And then I came to him and you know what? I want to go to hotel and uh, you know, restaurant management school. Uh, what did he say? Hey, you know, he wasn't too happy in the beginning. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was wondering if it was a little contentious, but the restaurant, uh, the restaurant business is not one of the most, um, uh, let's say safe industries to be sure, in. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't, uh, he wasn't too happy about it in the beginning, but he understood it. Yeah. So, uh, his whole thing was go to college and get a degree. And, uh, so yeah, he, he really didn't care too much. He, he probably thought to himself is let's just get him into a good school. Right. And if he wants to switch majors after a year, he probably will. Yeah. And you, you spent know? how long in Denver then? Only a year. Yeah. Um, so after going back to lacrosse, after I blew out my knee, my freshman year playing, oh, okay. um, I, uh, kind of, I was, well, I mean, I had surgery and then I was in a cast and couldn't play lacrosse anymore. So I kind of, I joined a fraternity, hung out with all my, my brothers for a while. And one of my classes, my freshman year of, uh, HRTM school was actually intro to cooking. Interesting. Okay. So it was kind of, you know, take all these business people, put them in a chef coat, give them a, give them a hat, give them some knives and just teach them the basics of cooking. Um, and I fell in love. I really fell in love with it. Food has always been a huge part of my life. Yeah. I've always been kind of one of those guys that will eat almost anything. Mm. Um, what is something you won't eat? Because I always, I always think about that. I'll eat about anything too. And I have eaten things I didn't want to. But. You know, it, it, it's, I will try anything once. Yeah. And honestly, I'll probably try it twice. Sure. <laughs> um, but just simple things I don't like is eggplant. It's pointless, it's, isn't it? It's pointless. It absorbs flavor, but then so does anything else. Exactly. And it has nutritionally void too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just water. almost pure water. Yeah. Exactly. All right, I'm uh, glad I got it off my chest. Oh, man. yeah. No, I, I 100% <laughs> agree with you. Uh, you know, one thing that I grew up with that I love eating so much is artichokes. Oh, yeah. But today I can't because I actually developed an allergy over the years. What is... Really? Mm-hmm. That's a very rare one. I haven't heard it's, of it. It's very rare. I've only met one other person in my life who's allergic to artichokes like me. Really? Uh, and it's artichokes and cardoons. Cardoons, cardoons are the, are the, the leaves that grow off. Yeah. yeah. So I'm basically allergic to thistles. Man, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Because most people get peanuts. That's like fucking overdone. Yeah. But thistles... That is a special kind of awkwardness. And and what sucks today in my as in my industry is I can't drink chinar. Oh shit. So I don't even think about that. Yeah, I mean that's the first thing I think about is is uh is the things that I, I you know the business I'm in now is the liquor business and um yeah the one thing that is distilled from artich or is is macerated with dried artichoke yeah. leaves is is a chinar. This is really actually a very charming fact about you because mm-hmm. You 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 won't turn down anything, but sorry, just don't buy me any chinar. Do you know if there's anything else out there that's macerated? Or uh, so the only thing I know from artichokes is chinar. Yeah, uh, and then cardamaro is a, uh, a fortified that is made from cardoons. Oh no! Kidding. So I can't I can't drink that either. 
That is, um, and I have had reaction. It's not a terrible reaction. Yeah. I do carry Benadryl with me at all times after right. I have had a reaction before. It's like throat closing kind of thing? Not closing, but I, I blow up. My I tongue see. goes numb. I get very red and blotchy. Yeah. It's just not a very pleasant experience. Uh-uh. Not, and it's probably not worth it. Chinara's good, yeah. but it's not worth that. <laughs> I mean, let's just say I have taken you know a shot of Chinara because I really wanted it, but I downed it with some Benadryl right afterward. Let's say that. That's a great effect too. That's yeah. a nice Sunday cocktail. Exactly. But didn't but didn't yeah. end up having to call it an early night that night. You know. See, sometimes you gotta go home early, get some rest. So yeah, it all works out. And you know, the good thing is 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 the the family here in Austin with the brand ambassadors and bar managers and everyone that I uh, work with every day. Mm. Uh, they now it's pretty much gotten around town that that I'm allergic to artichokes and chinar. So <laughs> when everyone else is ready to do a chinar shot, they know to pour me a Campari shot. It's a thoughtful group, isn't it? It is. It's just a family. That's Always what we, looking we call out it for fam, each other. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So cooking, you really take to. What is it about it? Because. I, and I don't want to assume, but coming from the military schooling anyway, mm-hmm. lots of structure, probably lots of math and science. Lots of math and a lot of history. Too. A lot of hi- yeah. Right. There you go. So you now are talking about the spark of creativity in the other left brain side. Or is it right brain? Right brain. Right brain. Right brain. Yeah. So what is it? Was there anything else you kind of experienced, experienced in, classically that gave you the ability to be creative? Like I was always the chemistry guy. Ah, okay. Uh, like my senior year of high school, we had eight periods. I spent five of them in the chem lab my senior year. Oh, wow. Uh, whether it was, I was taking uh, AP chem and I was doing, uh, uh, I was a, a mentor and yeah. I did, um, I had a study lab in there and I just kind of oversee And plus my chem, provo- uh, my chem professor, Cecil Jeans, he was such an amazing, lovely man yeah. uh, that we just kind of all found love with him. And my creativity side loved chemistry. Interesting. Uh, I was also in photography, advanced photography in senior year. Um, I did a lot of uh, artwork, mm-hmm. uh, art classes, clay. Oh, really? I was never too good at it. But using your hands. But using my hands. And yeah. I always loved the artistic atmosphere of it. Yeah. Um, so over the years, I finally found that my my artistic ability and love really works well with food. Yeah. And, a, and you know that it's kind of a it's a it's an art chemistry kind totally of totally a hybrid yeah. which is incredible. So you then study at the Culinary Institute of America in San Antonio, and then you rap and do the second half or so in New sort York, of. right? Something yeah, it like was that. it was yeah. So the CIA wanted to open a brand new school in San Antonio, yeah, um, without kind of if you will a proof of concept. Okay, uh, for the first three years, it was called the Center for Foods of the Americas. Um, but it was taught by CIA chefs, mm-hmm. either from New York or Greystone in California. Uh, it was their curriculum. It was everything was CIA, but yeah. they just legally had to put CFA on everything. In the okay. Uh, but what they offered was that you could go to that they would get you into Hyde Park in New York yeah. or in Greystone in California to finish your degree. Right. Um, and in the beginning, I didn't want to do it. Okay. Um, I I kind of just wanted to get into the real world. Yeah. So I ended up moving to Chicago. Um, bird in the bee or something what's the restaurant the one of the ones you worked with the bird in the something or the there, there's so many restaurants you've worked at in chicago that is i can't remember but uh so girl and the goat that's what it was that's okay what it was yeah. yeah that was toward the end of my end of my time in chicago yeah um but i ended up i ended up moving to chicago and i lived and worked there for about 18 months and it was about 16 months in i said to myself you know what i do want to go back to school and finish my degree mm. You know, I am learning amazing things on a job. I was working in a one Michelin star restaurant at the time. Oh, wow. um, I was working under one of the greatest chefs I've ever worked for, Giuseppe Tentori. Um, and it just felt like I needed to finish school. You yeah. know, 
I wasn't getting any pressure from my parents. Well, I mean, a little, a little bit, but it was more of a, a personal desire. Um, so I applied. Uh, I got in, but they couldn't give me. They couldn't get me in for uh, almost a year. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, at that time, there was a huge influx of chefs going. You know, kids wanting to be a chef in mm-hmm. uh, in New York. Um, but I'd already I'd already gotten up, got, uh, given up my lease. I had already basically said I'm moving away from Chicago. Oh, this is all starting to make sense now. So yeah. I ended up moving back to San Antonio, um, kind of just putting all my stuff in my parents' house, and I had some money saved up. So I decided to just go get a backpack, and I went to Europe for eight months. Man, see, this is this works out so perfectly because I was like, well, how does this all f- chronologically mm-hmm. does it work? Yeah, the chronological atmos- atmosphere of my career in my uh, my past is very wonky. Yeah. Um, but it all it all turns it it all t- comes back together because I actually moved to Chicago ultimately three times total. Yeah, uh, I moved to Austin three times total. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And amidst this journey in Europe, you worked at a restaurant in the UK, a single Michelin or two. Fat Michelin? Duck. It was Fat th- duck? three three star. And I hear here I'm thinking it's only two stars. So three mm-hmm. Michelin. Amazing. How so? How as of some of the experiences that one in particular? How was that? That was incredible. Um, at that time, Fat Duck was uh, number two mm. in the world on the San Pellegrino list. Yeah. Um, I had it was it was very structured. It was during uh, during the month of December, so I was there from like the 27th of November until the 21st of December, which is when they closed for the holidays. Right. Um. It was very structured. It was six days a week. It was sixteen hour days. Mm. Um, I I rented a bike for that amount of time. Really? Um, just a bicycle to sure. get around. We about, were a, about how old were you at this point, too? Uh, early twenties, still. Right? Yeah, twenty three. I think yeah. twenty two or twenty three. Man. Um. So yeah, ten years almost now. Wow. You got a um, birthday coming up next week. So I do next week. Right? Yeah, next Wednesday. What are you thirty? Uh, thirty three. Thirty three. Thirty three. So this, you're right. Ten years. This is your life. Eric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that was that was incredible. You know, in in December in small town outside of London in Maidenhead. Yeah. Um, it was very dark, very gloomy, kind of like what the weather is right now in Absolutely, South Texas. Yeah. Um, and you know, biking after a sixteen hour day, going to a Airbnb or a uh, not an Airbnb, uh, a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I was staying for that month, and uh, you know, going thirty minutes biking each way. So now we're at an hour yeah. at the restaurant for 16 hours a day. So maybe sleep, what, maybe five hours? Maybe sleep five hours. Yeah. And then back at it again six days a week. Dude. Um, but the the you know the education I learned there, some techniques we learned there yeah. uh, was, was really, really special uh, at that point in my career. Did You know, it's interesting. This is kind of what would end up in the novel if you end up writing a novel and expanding the book. <laughs> were you able to like find love and shit when you were in Europe? Uh, or you lost, know, maybe? I spent, I spent a lot of time in Italy. Okay. Um, during that eight months, yeah. it kind of ended up being Florence actually ended up kind of being like my home base. Really? Um, so I worked when I was there for that eight months, I had one, two, three, I had about six jobs, Jeez. um, a kitchen and a butcher shop and kind of all over the place yeah. in Italy, Switzerland, uh, England, Denmark and, uh, Copenhagen, right? Yeah. Copenhagen, Denmark. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, and it was a fun time. And, you know, whenever I didn't have a job or I, you know, I didn't want to go travel and see, or I've already done it. Yeah. I'd go back to Florence um, because Florence is such a beautiful city. Uh, I have a huge affinity to Italian food. That's really where most of my overseas studying has been. Yeah. Um, and I found these amazing people that I just went back and stayed with every time. It's incredible. Um, and yeah, then, you know, 
there was I was staying in public housing and sure. had some very fun friends who I met from Australia and New Zealand and China and Mexico and amazing all over Europe. Um, never really, you know, had a, a love, let's say, but I definitely sure. had some fun. It's a it's one of those things. Ten years by now, roughly for you. Do you think that's something everybody should do? You think everybody's cut out for it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that. I wouldn't say everyone should do it like I did. Yeah. I went by myself, you know, with a, a little bit of money in my pocket mm. and I was able to set up jobs and, you know, get some free housing and not have to worry about that and okay. get all my, you know, get meals paid for. And, um, you know, st- you know, staging at, um, at fat duck for a month. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't spend a dime Yeah, because I ate at the restaurant for three meals a day. Um, my housing was taken care of. Because they weren't paying us, but, oh, that's, how but they, the, that's how they would pay us. Oh, that's great. So they give you a place to stay. You just come to the Okay. Yeah. So basically sense. you're learning the experience and then they're getting free labor. Yeah. You know, uh, which today is very difficult to talk about. And then especially in our society. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a, an international accepted thing to stage mm-hmm. um, for, for the experience. Um, Noma was the same way, but Noma, I was there for three weeks. Uh, Noma wasn't as popular as it was, you know, as it, as it, well, I say was because it's no longer there. Um, Wait, they moved, right? Yeah. They moved uh, to Tulum. Okay. But that's gotta be pretty recent that they did that, right? Uh, I think two years ago. Yeah. Oh geez. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was, that was, that was an amazing experience because Renee was there every single day. Mm. Uh, whereas when I was at Fat Duck, Heston Blumenthal, I only met him once and that was on the last day. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. He was, he was never there. Whereas Renee, uh, would actually come and hang out with us as, in the staging room where all the stages were. Yeah. And he would sit there and he would do all the tedious tasks with us and just kind of like ask us questions about our lives and just get to know us and Man. actually make it feel like we are actually humans. Yeah. Uh, instead of Not treating us slave like robotic labor. slave <laughs> robotic labor and calling us very inappropriate names, sure, sure. you know, as, as some of the British do. Um, they get away with words, don't they? They get away with a lot. <laughs> They get away with a lot. Yeah. Because so when, when, when you're the second best restaurant, when you're the second best restaurant in the world. Even more. You, even more. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, back then Noma was uh, 35 on that list. Wow. And I remember coming back home and I, I talked to my dad and sat down with the experience with my parents. And I said, you know what? Watch out for Noma mm. because that was a lot better than Fat Duck. Damn. And then three years later, it ended up jumping from 35 to 10 and then 10 to 5 and then 5 to 1 Man. in the world. It's you know it's so cool. It's like and I, I've used this analogy a couple of times this past week because there's some great bands in town for ACL. But it's like seeing you two at CBGBs, which I know a guy who did. Right? Mm-hmm. Would they play that club now? No. Well, no. one, it doesn't exist really. But you were at Noma at a time when it was perfectly pitched and everybody was working together and they were writing the best songs of their life. And then it blew up. That's got to be like yeah. a really cool feeling. Like you had to be able to feel it, right? You knew. oh, absolutely, yeah. And it was even more special. Three years later, I had the opportunity to go back to Noma oh, cool. and actually have dinner, have a proper meal there. Yeah. While I mean, while I was staging, they actually let us come in and have one meal uh, whenever we got to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to go back three years later with a bunch of friends, and we got to go back to Noma. And Renee was there to welcome me at the door and said, oh. "Welcome back. How have you been?" Oh man, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's I, that's such a beautiful culture to cultivate in an organization. Mm-hmm. You know, man. So then why'd you come why would you dare come back? <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I ask myself the same thing every day. Uh, no, uh, you know, so I came back to go back to culinary school. Uh, um, so I came back 
Oh man, the last day in Europe was a nightmare. Uh, I was leaving uh, the town that I was staying in outside of Bray and uh, where Fat Duck is called Maidenhead. Maiden, yeah. Um, and I had, you know, I had a giant backpack on. I had two rolly bags because um, that's how I was just going around. Yeah. And it was giant puffy cokes. It was the 24th of December. It was oh, snowing. It was 40 degrees. Um, and I had, when I was traveling, I was traveled with that jacket because it had a bunch of internal pockets. And uh-huh. when you're traveling, you always want to keep everything important close to your vest. Right. Um, so when I'm packing up in my room, I get everything. I know I have everything. I walk to the train station. I get on the train, buy my ticket, get into London. And then all of a sudden, when I get my jacket back on off the train, uh-huh. for some reason, my passport's gone. Oh, God. Yeah. You had a hole in the pocket? I, I, to this, to know. this day, I could not tell you. Man. I don't know whether I don't know whether the passport was in my jacket when I left the the uh, the uh, uh, bread and breakfast. Yeah, I don't know whether it popped out on the train. I don't know if there's a hole in my jacket. Dude. Um, but I made all the phone calls. I called the restaurant. No one answered because no one was there. I called the local pub that we all went to every single night, mm-hmm. and someone was there and asked them. They said no. Called the the bed and breakfast. They said no. Your room's empty. So I ended up having to stay three three extra days because that was a Saturday. Oh man! And the consulate wasn't open, or the embassy wasn't open. Right. So I had to stay Saturday and Sunday in London, which was awesome. I got to walk around and have some fun and eat some traditional food. Yeah. Um, but it was still a nightmare because a I didn't know whether I was going to be able to get home uh, without a passport. Yeah. Uh, and then b I was just I, it was three extra days, and I've been traveling for three months. It just Dude, you know, it was it a just drain. Exhausting. Yeah. yeah. And back then I wasn't, you know, London in London 10 years ago was it wasn't what it is today. Yeah. Uh and especially in the in the food and crafts in the bar scene. Right, sure. Um but at that time also I was broke. Dude. I didn't have any money left. So it just completely uh I had to do it as cheap as possible. How did and, you get it? So what you what do you do? So this is actually a nice lesson. So if I sure. lose my passport in the UK, you go to the embassy. You go to London. You go to the embassy. Okay. Uh, and you apply for an emergency v- uh, an emergency passport. I see. Okay. Uh, and they they print it for you right there in the embassy. It takes about it took about two hours. Oh, okay. Um, it's a much thinner passport. It's sure. only got like three pages on it, and it only lasts for one year. So nice. normally, when you get a passport, I believe it's t- ten or fifteen sure, years. Sure. Yeah. It's long. Yeah. The emergency passport's only one year. God. So you got to head out on Monday, a little more broke, a little more exhausted. Yep. My flight's at six o'clock in the evening. Oh. I get to Heathrow at like three. Yeah. I'm, I fall asleep in the airport. Uh, I actually asked the gate attendant. I'm like, hey, I'm on this flight. I'm going to fall asleep. Can you please just make sure to wake me up? <laughs> please Re- tell me they, they woke Really you up. nice, really, oh, okay. really nice woman. She woke me up. But even before the boarding started, she's like, hey, just a heads up. Oh, that's great. Uh, got on my flight and came home. You go, you, were you, so flying back to San Antonio? I flew back to San Antonio. Yep. And then I packed up, uh, took care of the holidays with my family. And then the first week of, uh, I believe the second or the third of January that year, I uh, packed up my Chevy Tahoe and I drove to upstate New York for culinary school. How long did it take you to complete up there? So I did. So up there, typically it's a two year program. Um, but in in between it is a, uh, what they call an internship. Mm. So you have to go work in a restaurant for four or five months. Uh, for the internship and it's a whole homework problem like every week you have documents you have to take care of and at the end you have an entire essay you have to write um there's a lot of documentation yeah um so i did the the first five months basically um of the program and then i ended up going to chicago uh got a at a internship at an amazing restaurant with a chef named sean mclean his restaurant was called spring Mm. uh unfortunately it's no longer there anymore 
uh, amazing uh, kind of Thai Vietnamese American fusion with some oh, yeah. a lot of French influence as well. Uh, learned so much about Thai and Korean food, uh, Vietnamese and uh, flavors. How to combine flavors from him was incredible. Yeah. So you, you and then back to culinary school to finish up, finish, finish my degree. Yep. And then uh, after that, came back to San Antonio and figured out what I wanted to do. What was that? Move back to Chicago. <laughs> it took moving to Chicago and then away and then away again to determine you wanted to go. Exactly. Back to Chicago. How long were you there that last time? The That's last 30. time I was there for, for four years. Okay. So it stuck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one stuck. Uh, I got my job back at spring. Cool. Sean hired me back on and actually paid me this time. Nice. Um, and and learn the ropes again, you know. Came back into it and worked worked with that that kitchen crew that we had there. It was amazing crew. Mm. Uh, two of those two of those people are now running uh, very amazing restaurants in Chicago. Uh, one of them is now running Sean McLean's restaurant at the Aria in oh, Las oh, Vegas. Wow. Um, we had a great crew at that restaurant. So, I think people would they they ask the same thing for people that bartend for a long time. Mm-hmm. When you can open your own place, right? <laughs> so this is a different side of it that seems like you're perfectly capable of handling the operational side and the cost side, but you're still like creating in the kitchen. I mean, leaving New York and coming back to Texas, I mean, there's an Arizona move in here too? There's an Arizona move, yeah. Um, what so, is this one? <laughs> <laughs> so after spring, I, uh, I had an amazing opportunity to go work with Stephanie Izard at Girl on the Goat. Okay. Uh, she had, the, the previous year, she had one top chef. Uh, so she was now a household name. She yeah. was the first female to win. She's <clears> kind <throat> of that uh, rock and roll kind of bad, mm-hmm. edgy, edgy uh, personality. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to work with that. You know, I'd done pretty much most of the jobs I had in Chicago were all one star, one or two star Michelin restaurants. And uh, I kind of wanted to go away from the formal aspect and learn about having fun again. Yeah. Um, and that's what Girl on the Goat was. And that's what, you know, I worked there for just under two years with her. Um, and she was that, she was exactly that. She was edgy. She was fun. Her flavors were completely off the wall, but they worked so well together. Um, and even till this, to this day, it's, it's one of the most uh, successful restaurants in Chicago now. That's crazy. Um, and to, and to be there from the very beginning. And like I said, with the, the crew that I had at spring, the crew that I had, and I was a part of it, girl on the goat was even bigger and better. Um, you know, Joe flam who I worked with for a year and a half, like side by side with, he just won Top Chef. Oh, cool! Um, so to see all those guys and you know uh, on TV and in the papers and what they're doing today, it's yeah. it's it's a lot of it's very special. Does it? You know, there's a, a syndrome I guess we get. Uh, we compare ourselves to others a lot, especially when social media makes it so easy to know exactly what's going on with everybody at every single fucking moment. Mm-hmm. Having these people rise up, of course, they put in a bunch of work. You put in a bunch of work. Do you ever sit back and think, man? Maybe I want my moment. You know, I've there was one point in my career in my life I said that. Yeah. Um, in the last five years, I've kind of just, I just want to be happy every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never, I was never that guy. I was never the guy who was going to be on TV, the guy who was going to be in competitions like that uh, when it came to cooking. Yeah. Not your I thing. was, huh? Not your jam? Um, I don't, I don't think so. You know, a lot of those TV shows look for kind of crazy attitudes. Sure. And I'm, I'm a Formulaic, lot more, I'm right. a lot more, I like to say I'm a lot more humble than mm. a lot of those guys. Sure. I wouldn't start fights. I kind of would just like put my head down and say, yes, chef and you know, do what I know I can do. Right. Um, while I probably, you know, those comp- some of those competitions I could probably do very well in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it doesn't really, 
Yeah. I, I'm not looking to be a famous celebrity kind of person, personality. I, I make, makes sense. Yeah. I think there's an egocentricity about it, and that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of star tender stuff, of course, we'll sure. touch on. You get to see that piece now. But, you know, we're going through this career, and you end up at Easy's in Austin. Off, You said it's off 38th Street? Is it was, it 30th? yeah. 38th and Lamar. Yeah, I remember the, it had the big, massive sign, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that iconic sign that's been there for, it was there for over 20 years, I believe. And there's a fateful event, which maybe, I don't know, but is it, is it a turning point? So, one, describe that night for me when you guys have this yeah. devastating fire. But was that also kind of a... So what point? happened What happened was, so in between Chicago and Easy's, I worked for Topgolf. Um, that's where the Arizona move came in. I got you. Okay. So I started here uh, as a server and bartender, worked my way up into management. Um, my AGM and I were very close. Mm-hmm. He got the job to go open up a new store in Arizona, asked me if I'd come with him, gave him a one-year commitment, went out there, opened it up, okay. became the bar manager, fell in love with bartending and kind of the idea there. Yeah. Uh, but I absolutely did not like living in Arizona. Uh, especially the town that we were in. We were in the town in Gilbert, Gilbert, Arizona. Gilbert? Oh, I know. I used to live in Scott. Yeah, Gilbert. Ooh, yeah. That's, an, uh, that's a thankless town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Second largest Mormon population in the U.S. Yeah. You know? And I was in charge of the bar program out of a, a oh, top man. golf. You know, yeah. we didn't, I'll tell you what, we sold the most Pepsi in the U.S. in, in any, of our, <laughs> any of our stores. I had the biggest Pepsi order every week. Um, but after that, I, I, I came back to Texas. Um, unfortunately, my job at Top Golf was no longer available for me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to unfortunately leave the company. Uh, such an amazing company. Learned so much. Going back to high school about structure. Yeah. That's exactly what that was. Oh, good. So it's, it taught me so much. Yeah. So much about operating a $22 million a year establishment. Yeah. So that when I was ready to open up my restaurant and do $1 million a year, I'd know what I was doing. Sure. You know? 20 times over you would. 20 times over. <laughs> I could do it 20 times. Um, but... Yeah, so uh, at that time, I, I put out some feelers to to get a job here in Austin, and it just so happened that EZ's and I have still have a good relationship, obviously, with my father still being one of the owners. Yeah. Um, but he mentioned to me, he and the president gave me a phone call, and we talked, and um, they said that their GM in Austin was, he needed to go. Mm. Uh, and that with my experience and my commitment to the company, I would be an obvious choice for them to bring in and kind of turn the restaurant around. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, I ended up saying. Absolutely. Let's do it. Um, wasn't really excited about running kind of like a small little restaurant, but I came in there and we had a, a decent team, mm-hmm. um, had to make some tough choices and let some people go to, sure. to better the company. But I brought in some great personalities. Um, and we were doing great. We were turning around. Money was getting better. I gave everyone a raise. Their, mm. their happiness immediately went up. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then one faithful Wednesday, uh, I believe it was in January. Uh, it was a Wednesday night. Um, I typically took Wednesday nights off. Uh, Wednesday nights where kids eat free. Mm-hmm. And I had one, my, uh, my front of house manager. Uh, she, well, she loved kids yeah. and loved working Wednesday nights, which was great for me because I hated the chaos. Yeah. Um, so I took Wednesday nights off. Um, and I went actually and had a nice little dinner over at Juniper okay. with uh, Nick Yanes. Uh, it was my first meal there. Mm. Sat at the bar by myself. Hung out with our friend Ryan Foster at the bar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just had a nice little meal. And then uh, right as I was finishing my entree, I got a phone call from my manager at Easy's, and she said, "Hey, Aaron, just a just a heads up, we have a little fire." I said, "Well, okay. How little of a fire?" She's like, uh, "It's not a big deal, but I I have called nine one one." I was like, "Okay, cool." 
Um, I am finishing up dinner. I'll be there in 30 minutes. Right. Um, so slowly finished my meal, paid my tab, mm-hmm. gotten, gotten an Uber, headed up from uh, East Caesar to all the way up north. Uh, and then I get a call from my kitchen manager who was off that night uh, when I'm uh, about 15 minutes away. Yeah. And he's like, hey, uh, Aaron, are you, on, are you on the way? I said, yeah, 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 I'm on the way. Sam already called me. I'm, uh, there's a little fire, right? He's, well, there's seven fire trucks here. Oh, Jesus. I was like, what? She's, so that's a big fire. She's like, yeah, you need to get here pretty soon. They're asking for you. Like, all right, cool. So feeling beautifully in a, in a wonderful you know, state of mind after dinner. Right. Kind of goes straight downhill into talking to the fire chief and figuring out when we're going to be able to at least get inside and how bad the fire is. And then getting all these guys coming to me asking, handing, handing business cards about reconstruction. Right, and right. I'm like, guys, just leave me alone. Feeding like this frenzy. is, this is my, my business right here. Yeah. Um, same with the health department, health departments on me immediately making sure that we don't go in there and use anything. That's not, uh, they're so, they're fucking, uh, I've dealt with them and it's like, really guys, this is the real world, not some little t- the petri dish. We're not situation. gonna, we're not gonna poison somebody right, after I'm not this put kind of thing happens. On the chip, we know it's just stupid. Anyway, yeah, yeah good. Uh, so we ended up getting in there, seeing everything. You know, I had to. It was the first time I was out, had to break open a safe. Jesus, uh, what did you use? Uh, uh, fireman. I used the fireman. Smart. I was like, hey guys, you guys want to have some fun? You want to break the safe open? They're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I used some crowbars and ended up bringing the jaws in there and getting it open Dang. for me so I could get all the money out. Um, so yeah, I cleared out all the money and cleared. Out, I took the computer and uh, all the documents I could and everything and got how, out of there. How bad are we talking? Uh, it was three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in damage somewhere Whole in that place or area. Just this kitchen or uh, so it started in the kitchen. Uh, my grill guy was cleaning behind the grill, uh-huh. and when he went to go push the grill back for somehow. The grill actually went over the back of the low boy that it sits on. Oh shit! And it burst the gas valve. Oh man! So those things, those things typically have fail safes. Yeah. Right. So if uh, there's gas leaking out, the valve automatically shuts. Mm-hmm. But when you burst the valve and the fail safe, no chance. There's no chance. So it basically turned. It basically turned into a flamethrower. Oh my god! So it went up and through the up and through the. What uh, ignited it? Uh, the grill was still on. Oh crap! So the sheer heat of it. Right. So it was wow. it was at nine nine forty five at night. We we're fifteen minutes away from closing, and I made sure that I told all my guys, "You guys can are happy to clean when there's pe- no people in the restaurant. That's fine, but nothing gets turned off until the minute we close. Mm-hmm. So the fryers don't get shut off early. The grill does not get shut off early. If someone walks in at nine fifty nine and we close at ten, we're serving them. Okay. Um. So that was kind of my standard rule, and they enjoyed it. They loved it. Um, cause they got to get done early. And, and at the point, these guys were so fast that as soon as 10 o'clock came around and 10 one came, turned off the grill and they were out the door by 10, 10, 10, yeah. you know? Um, so the grill was still on, lit the gas, turned into a flamethrower. Flames went up into the rafters, uh, basically burnt. It burned about 80% of the roof. Wow. Um, and it was, uh, yeah. Everybody. Okay though. Everyone was okay. okay. Not a single person hurt. Good. Um, one of the first things I came when I came in and took over that restaurant, I was so during my time at Top Golf, I was actually the elected safety manager. Mm. Uh, so did you get a I was, hat for that? I got a, I, yes, I sure did. All right, an Good. OSHA OSHA yeah, certification that's what hat. I thought, yeah. Yes, had to go through a wonderful twenty-five hour online course for oh, OSHA. I was smiling. I just went flat. I was like, oh Jesus, <laughs> grueling. 
but a big part of it was a fire safety. Yeah. And I ended up teaching fire safety to all the new incoming uh, associates at Topgolf. Faithful. Um, and fire was big for me. You know, I've, I've, I've lost some friends and family and, and houses and, you know, in my life to fire. So it's pretty important to me. Uh, so one of the first safety things I taught these guys was, look, if there's ever a fire in here, you save yourself and you run. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Flat out. You know, there's things that will happen in the restaurant to help us. It's fine. The restaurant's not worth your life. No matter what, get out. Right. Uh, and do it calmly. You know, don't go yeah, crazy. Right. You can you can walk past a fire. You're fine. Yeah. Um, so they followed my instructions and they all got out. Everyone got out. Man. So no one was hurt. A um, little scared. Yeah. Uh, but that was how, it. How long? So is it, it's back. It did get repaired. It's back up. No. So, that um, was it. so I, I continued to work for EZs kind of on a consulting atmosphere. Yeah. I uh, was in, you know, from then on. I helped insurance and all that kind of stuff after a fire. Right. Um, once the estimate came back, uh, the ownership pretty much was like, you know what? Our leases, our lease is coming up. Uh, we're not probably not going to renew it. Let's just wash our hands. Wow. Um, the estimate to get back into the restaurant was five months. And there yeah. was a clause in the contract that said anything over uh, 90 days, you can just wash out of the contract. Interesting. Uh, so they washed. Wow. And um, I found all of my, my entire crew. I found them jobs within three days. Nice. Um, and then I was kind of stuck on the rails then. Yeah. There's some, so this to me feels like the pivotal moment in which you're considering, or you do finally shift into being a bartender all the time. Is that fair? Yes. So I, I definitely immediately started finding little jobs here and there, yeah. uh, for catering companies or just kind of side things to, to get me through. Um, but I was, I was actually thinking about getting back to cooking. Hmm. Um, I had found a couple investors. I had found a couple locations. Oh, I had, de- I had developed three concepts that I really wanted to open. Um, and after a few months of kind of picking up bartending here and there, I just didn't want to do it anymore. You know, just seeing all the restaurants open and all these restaurants closing in Austin mm-hmm. really kind of deterred me away. And I said, you know what, let's go develop, you know, I've developed, in my career, I've developed the culinary arts. I've developed my management style. I've developed running restaurants. Yeah, let's do bartending. Um, so ended up working. Yeah, bar- starting bartending then, and did pretty good on the co- competition scene. And did it okay. Seems like a short period of time. There was, uh, oh my god, Ted Bro. What's his the Lucid Absinthe? That was one, right? Yeah, did, did Lucid. Um, oh, the Great Grappa. Great Grappa. Yeah, I got to the national finals with that one. Yeah, uh, Espalone. Espalone. I, I won that one last oh, that's year. That's right. Yeah. Uh, got to go to the national finals and ended up getting uh, in the final round. So I got either second or third. Um, it's you're a ringer, you know. <laughs> you know, here's here's the thing I always tell people about uh, about bartending and coming from the kitchens mm-hmm. is running a station in a kitchen on a line is so similar to working as a as a bartender, right? Because you have all your ingredients, you have all your mise en place, you have your garnishes, you have your station, you work clean, mm-hmm. you add ingredients with technique to to present a final product or yeah. a plate or a glass. Um, so the correlation is there. And a lot of the organization and hand movements and sense of urgency is all the same. Sure. Um, and then it came after all the years of developing my palate and tasting and creating dishes. Uh, a lot of these competitions were creating a new, a brand new cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the best ones I, the best competitions I were in was in the last few years were about creating a brand new cocktail. Mm. Um, you know, my favorite one of my favorite ones was the star of the bar competition with USBG a couple of years ago, uh, where I created this really cool mezcal and Montenegro cocktail 
with mm. uh, blackberry and honey and Meyer lemon. Nice. Um, just like flavor wise and balance wise, it was one of the my favorite cocktails I ever created. It's well, you come in having paid a hell of a lot of dues, man. And you know, it's <laughs> weird because you don't think they're. We may be on the surface. We don't think they're transferable, but these are completely transferable. Absolutely. You went to CIA. You know, you worked at countless amounts of restaurants, stashed throughout Europe. I mean, it kind of puts you in a really great situation to succeed and thrive in the bartending scene. So this is the question I would have to ask. So now we've been talking about your life up to this recent chapter, really, with Casa Noble. And we're sipping this in the Añejo, right? Yeah, two-year Añejo. Goddamn. It's, man, it's so good. I mean, it. Some t- you know what? You know why I don't drink a lot of Casa Noble Añejo? I don't think I deserve it. I need to what? work... I need to work more for my drinks sometimes, and this is just too easy. I don't know. This would be half bottle easy kind of thing. Sure. You know? And although that's good, it's like a Monday today or Tuesday? Tuesday. Yeah. See, Tuesday. It's just a Tuesday. It's just a Tuesday. Well, maybe. maybe. Yeah. I mean, for us, though, like the days really don't mean much. That's true. I'm going through The day of the week for us doesn't mean much. For the typical nine to fiver, yeah, it's a Tuesday. You shouldn't, you know, we're not going hard yet. Right. Well, and I don't go hard on the weekends, only in the weekdays. It's very strange. I don't either. I'm Very the same strange. way. And I do have a 9 to 5, but that's all right. It's <laughs> fine. Why the shift? Obviously, this is a great tequila company. I've heard the story from Chris Furtado about Pepe. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's enthralling to me how it started. by like, Just a small little get up and it turned into something pretty, pretty massive. Mm-hmm. I mean, even still small by tequila. Oh, absolutely. Right? Very small. But brand work. I mean, what about that was compelling to you? So it really started when I met my first brand ambassador. And then, you know, when I was, so I was working at the Townsend. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I started seeing these guys coming in and, you know, just hanging out with us and buying drinks and having fun and smiling. And I was like, what, what, what is that? Uh, what kind of job is that? Yeah. You know? Because uh, we don't have that in the culinary industry. There's no one. Right. Exactly. There's no. There's no lobster ambassador. Oh man, wouldn't that be a wouldn't that be a good job? <laughs> Just go around eating lobster all day long. Um, yeah. No. You know. There's no. There's no uh, um, lettuce ambassador. Right. You know. Um, so in this industry, I didn't know what those were, and I, I started hanging out with them a lot more. Guy, you know, guys like Brandon Turner and yeah. Carly Carly Donovan, um, uh, Daniel Warlow, yeah. uh, Travis Tober. Just hanging out with these guys, getting to know them, and having a great time doing it, uh, I started to get to know what they did. And I was like, you know what? I think I'd be pretty good at this. Mm. So I kind of told myself, when my days are up behind a bar, I would love to try to transition into that. Um, And it just so happened that a little bit later that year, I had another knee injury. Oh, shit. So back in, you know, back when I was 19, I had surgery on my right knee. And now uh, at 32, I have surgery on my left knee. Uh, because of this, also having some you know typical back problems coming from an athlete as well, right? Uh, just decided it you know it's time to to hang up, hang up the apron for a little while, mm-hmm. and uh, could stay in the business because this is the only business that I truly am am happy in these days. Um, and and try to get my name out there. Yeah. That and that's that's really when I started kind of getting out into the competitions. Um. And to, to, to make sure that when I was going to be applying for these kind of jobs, that people would know my name. Yeah. So kind of starting and creating myself as a brand uh, so that when I apply for these jobs, they see my resume come across their desk. They're like, oh, yeah, I know Aaron. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I was hanging out with him so-and-so and with so-and-so, and he's a good guy. Let's talk to this guy. Yeah. You know? It's smart because at some point you have to take your 
there's ethical ways to do it and because i feel like you've paid so many dues in this industry it's logical that you have the skills and you didn't need to really hone them in too much more you know this mm -hmm. was the next logical expansion of your skill set and focusing on what it means to have a name in this industry have integrity around that name too which is very very important mm -hmm. these are two things i think we both probably ponder quite a bit yeah um and you know i had a couple opportunities even before casa noble i had a couple opportunities to get into it too yeah. um but it was one of those where I was kind of, I wanted to work for the right brand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people start off with lower brands just to kind of break into the industry right. and break in and get their name out there. Uh, but I was just a little stubborn, I guess, in a sense, because well, I, I wanted to work, for, you know, right. I, I, I just want, I didn't want to waste time. I wanted to, I don't like to waste time. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a very straightforward guy. I'm going to tell you how I'm thinking mm -hmm. um, kind of guy. And, Militant. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Militant. And, yeah. <laughs> chef chefy yeah there you go um <laughs> since so it sounds so derogatory no but it's Stop not being so chefy. Chef <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it could be a very positive thing um and then uh you know the opportunity um with casanoble came around i uh, i had applied for the position already uh but i was working at san antonio cocktail conference mm. uh earlier this year doing a uh a little salt tasting with twang salt cool their beer salt yeah uh, just making margaritas and you could rim you know yeah, yeah. um and chris Furtado walked in uh and I've, I've never met him before but I've, i know what he looks like i've sure. seen him i know who there's he is there's not really anybody that looks like him no you know no those tattoos and stuff it's like yeah. kind of his thing if he had some facial hair maybe like brandon hunt chober a little bit but, <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah. uh but no Furtado's his own kind of guy and he's a he's an amazing mentor uh and immediately he handed me his card and he says, make sure you contact me. Uh, and then three months later, I sat down with him and a few other executives from Casa and uh, marketing company behind it. Yeah. And uh, they asked me to be their Texas brand ambassador. How long is this ago now? Uh, that was in, in early April. I started officially in the last week of April. So we're soon, soon we'll be we're, we're almost just over about a half a year. Yeah, yeah almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's the thing, you know, I ran into you the other night when we were at the Roosevelt Room, they're launching their new menu, and I mm -hmm. knew about this brand from Chris, I knew about this brand from you, and I knew something about the story and all of that, but there's a couple of things that I thought found particularly intriguing, because we're talking about the distillation, and I don't normally nerd out about this stuff on the on the, the show anyway, but being three times distilled in a pot still, that's cool, but the thing that I found kind of remarkable that you guys do is you sti distill your own water mm -hmm. to proof down the second, the first spirit run. Which I was like, why do you guys do that? <laughs> and so why do you guys do that? I think so, it's interesting. So the coolest thing about, one of the coolest things, I'll say this a lot. Like, yeah. oh no, this is the coolest thing. Oh no, this is the coolest thing yeah, about yeah. Casa. No, no, no. Um, so the water that we use is actually located in three wells underneath our distillery. Hmm. So we pump up that water that comes through, um, you know, uh, where our distillery is and is, is high up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, it's close to 5,000 feet above sea level. Um, so it's got some really cool, you know, ground stuff, that it, it, minerals that it picks mm -hmm. up. Um, but we take that water and we put it through our stills. So this is a couple of reasons. One, because we are an organic distillery, there's no chemicals, salts, solvents, uh, solvents, sanitizers, anything like that right. in the distillery. The only way we clean our distillery is by hot water and steam. Oh, okay. 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 Oh, that's all right. So after distillation, we'll take that water and basically cook out the cleaning process yeah. of the still. Um, and then we'll take that water that comes out and then we'll distill again and again, actually mm -hmm. two more to twice total. Yeah. Um, and what that does is that really rectifies the water. It cleans it out. It mm -hmm. cleans out the stills and it takes all the minerals and stuff that are in that water that we don't want in Casa. 
um, pushes them away. So we're able to do the exact same way, kind of treat it like a heads, hearts, and tails situation. Yeah, right. So we're cutting our water, basically, and only taking the hearts out. Yeah. Um, so we use that water for dilution after distillation and aging, mm -hmm. as well as part of the extraction process and getting the agave um, honey out yeah. of the agaves. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it makes sense now that it's for, from a cleaning perspective, which I didn't realize I was one of the elements here. Mm -hmm. So this is spent two years in what to me tastes like French oak, but what is brand new French oak? Okay, perfect, good. So that's one one of the biggest signatures in Casa Noble is we are the only distillery, only uh, tequila distillery that uses exclusively brand new French oak barreling. And you were saying how damn expensive it is. Oh, <laughs> our cheapest barrel, I believe, is forty eight hundred dollars. Yeah, what's and that's the, you know, one hundred fourteen liter barrel? Fourteen. And our biggest, our three sixty liters, are I believe like fourteen grand. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And you said it was not Limazon, but it's another... It's Terrazon. Terrazon. Which, yeah. uh, from, the again, cognac, from the Cognac Forests. Yeah, which is still really cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, the flavor on this stuff's incredible. 80 uh, proof, two years. You know, you... Do you guys ever... It doesn't... Actually, none of this matter. This is delicious, and I really enjoy sipping it. For people on the streets, mm -hmm. the people you're training, the industry and stuff, I imagine they flock to this pretty, pretty hard. They definitely do. Um, but you know what? I found a lot, and, and this comes from my culinary background into the bar background is everyone has a different palate. Um, the people who truly love agave and tequila, mm -hmm. they definitely go more toward the Blanco uh, because when you go down to Mexico, nobody's drinking Reposados or Añejos. Right, They're all right. drinking Blancos mm -hmm. because that's where you really taste not only what the distiller is doing, but the flavor of the agave right. and how it was cooked and how, 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 mu how much they actually put time into it. Yeah. Um, you know, when you can taste a tequila and tell whether it was autoclaved versus, you know, steam, uh, steam roasted. Sure, yeah. Um, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with autoclaving they, tequila they whatsoever. Got, they all got their place. Yeah, yeah. They all have their place. Absolutely. Um, I, one of my favorite other tequilas besides Casanoble, which I won't say sure, sure. is, is autoclaved. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it, it really shows the characteristics in the Blanco of, of what that distillery is doing. Yeah. Um, to really make their mark on tequila. The other thing that, that you guys are doing, I think, that really does make your mark, and I think I love this trend in tequilas, this concept of still strength, which we had a good kind of intellectual conversation about with Fortaleza, one of the ones they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, Tapatio 110 and Overproofed. There's also the High Proof that Sam Rasul puts out. Um, and more to come. But you mm -hmm. guys have, what, and this was what, 105? I can't 102. Remember. 102. That's our Hoven. Yeah, we tried that. The, ultimately, the Hoven, the Blanco, still strength, right? Mm -hmm. And what we, we call it, it's not still strength, it's barrel strength. Barrel strength, okay. Right. It, which again was the thing we were kind of talking about. Either way, it's higher than 80 proof and it really, really brings forward this, the nuances and the subtleties of the flavor of the agave. What's the thought there in terms of your presence in the market having something a little higher proof? So the Hoven is a really special one. Um, you know, Pepe, when Pepe engineered it and he decided to make this, his whole goal was to push it toward bartenders and cocktails. Ah, okay. Um, so having a 102 proof tequila that's been aged in new french oak barrels for six weeks oh that's right okay i forgot about that okay is really cool in cocktails mm. um now for us for the aficionados of agave for the lovers behind the bar drinking that neat is beautiful oh, you know it's got a yeah. nice little spice that i i tend to gravitate to telling people kind of like a rye spice comparatively sure. yeah. um but it's got this beautiful vanilla from the oak and then it has the roasted agave and the white and green pepper that come off on it yeah um, and then the really cool dried mango that comes out because of the fermentation. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's it's really a beautiful beautiful tequila, especially for the price point. What? How much does it roughly retail? Uh, retail. So retail is hard to say because uh, it's difficult to find retail. Yeah, it's kind of say. it's kind of one of those on premise only for bars and restaurants gotcha, only. Okay. Um, but because a lot of bars and restaurants uh, are buying from places like Austin Wine Merchant and mm-hmm. uh, Austin Shaker, um, you can find them at those locations. Yeah. Um, I believe Austin Shaker selling it for like 40, 44, 45. Dude, that's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's one of those things. I, th- all right. I think about the vibrance of the flavor there because higher proof just does that. There's less water. You get closer to the alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, I can't imagine what that would taste like. And you, you guys probably already done it. You probably already tasted it, but that 12 months are over in this French oak. You've had it. Oh yeah. How does it taste over six months? Uh, I mean, over six months, it's it, it the you know the reposado is at 364 days. It's this beautiful, smooth vanilla candy, yeah. um, with uh, some nice dry chocolate on the back end and some fresh bitter grapefruit. Um, some people start to say uh, butterscotch and caramel. Right, right. Um, I get that more a lot in the añejo. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the añejo that we're sipping right now, to me, a lot of times just tastes like I put a Werther's butter butterscotch in my in my hey, mouth. One of the best candies. Ever. Oh yeah. But like, so at a higher proof, though, what does it taste like coming out? At a higher proof, it it, it dries out. It you does. Know, the sweetness, the sweetness is not there as much. Okay. Um, a, little, a little tight. A little tighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, yeah, and that's only because of the alcohol. Yeah. You know, once you dilute it down to eighty, those sweetness notes come out more. Sure. Oils get it, separated. Exactly. Out. Yeah. Exactly. It's a very luscious drink. I mean, I can't. Dude, I really can't wait to sip more of this stuff. This this is good because for Got me. Plenty. We're going to hit the pause button here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back. So the, the, the last chapter here, mm-hmm. education, giving back, maybe writing a memoir. I mentioned this a lot to folks, but you've actually lived it, you know, so there's probably a bit to write about. But you now are at the helm of the USBG Austin, is that correct? I'm the vice president. The vice president. Well, at the helm of multiple people. That are, that are, you know what I mean? Like, you yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Boat we have a, we have a really nice council right now. Yeah. So this kind of shift to a more mentorship role, in a sense, mm-hmm. giving back and paying it forward role, which I think is a great thing to do now in your career, given a bunch of experience you've had. What was the impetus for that in getting involved? I know we had a couple conversations about it, but for you, what was that moment? Where you're like, okay, I got to do this now. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was really a flattery uh, event that happened. Mm. Um. Last year, when we had elections for our new council, I was approached by multiple people asking me if I if I thought I would run, yeah, um, if I thought I could show some commitment to the chapter because they, and then that's where the flattery came in. They just kept naming all these things about me. They're like, "You'd be perfect for it," um, and I I was intrigued. Um, I was. Uh, in my social groups in high school, I was always part of the council. Yeah. Um, you know, being a manager uh, for multiple years at Top Golf, I was a leader and taught people. Um, and and education is a huge part of what I love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I kind of thought about it for a minute, and I s- said that if I ran for anything, it would be vice president. Um, and at the time, Stephanie Tesler was our vice president, and she was going to run again. So I said, you know what? There's Stephanie's amazing. Um. She's been great. She's been a great leader. She's a great educator. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason for me to to kind of like try to run against her. Sure. Um, so I'll just step back and wait. You know, wait another year or two. Um, and then in June, uh, Stephanie took a amazing job with Patron Tequila, mm-hmm. and that moved her to Florida. 
So she could no longer be our vice president. Mm. So the way that works in USBG is it goes to the council to basically appoint a uh, replacement. And they immediately, Jessica Lee, our president, immediately approached me and said, will you be our vice president? It'll be a six-month term because we'll have elections in January. Right. Um, but will you help us out for the six months? And I snap answered, absolutely. Mm. You know, USBG in Austin has done a lot for me in my career. It's opened a lot of doors. It's introduced me to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of USBG, a lot of the competitions I did were always sponsored by USBG. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was an obvious choice to give back to the community and give back to younger bartenders who are coming up. Um, That's great. Yeah. Because in a way, I feel it's our... Uh, no, you know what? It is our obligation. As we get older, as we have a larger culmination of experiences and successes and failures like there these stories have to be told mm-hmm. they have to be shared you know and so i think that's really good to take that angle and to kind of look at the education and it helps you meet the new people because you know it's funny is maybe not everybody's like us maybe not everybody's ambitious maybe they're not really drawn to being educated or learning more about the craft or whatever but there's always somebody that is exactly and that in a way is what keeps I hope us both moving forward to inspire and to delight and kind of help these other people do great mm-hmm. work, you know? Yeah. Well, so I got two questions left for you. All right. You know, as we've been sipping this, I mean, I, it's, it's almost like masturbatory. Me keep talking about how good this is. So I'm going to stop talking about it. <laughs> hey, I, I, it's okay. Keep saying it. It's fine. <laughs> I'll get a call from your marketing company. Hey, can you take out that masturbatory word when describing our tasting notes? Like, <laughs> No, I don't think I'm gonna no, do that. No. <laughs> don't think I'm you didn't see the NC seventeen rating on yeah, this? Yeah, come on. It's explicit on iTunes and Spotify. We're all <laughs> already warned everybody. But this specific spirit, this añejo, mm-hmm. two years and over in this French oak Casanobe, you're anywhere in the world and you can have a conversation in this particular dream with anybody living or deceased. Who might you like to sit down and wax poetic with, make? dumb jokes about and anything in between is that who and where or just who just who just who yeah you know i mean throughout my entire life um i I mean i gotta i gotta nod to my parents my family Mm. um they really they they really raised me right yeah uh what i like to call right um my sister and, and my sister both um and we we really appreciate all the lessons that our parents gave us and and the way they raised us and how much love they showed to us. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I always have and I've always had is a love with my dad of the Rat Pack. Oh, nice. Um, so my answer would definitely either be if I was able to choose the entire Rat Pack, absolutely. That's, yeah. Right. Uh, or just Frank Sinatra. You know, just to really, die, to really wax poetic with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. The stories. Yeah. Quincy, you hear this Quincy Jones talking about how much he had to drink with the, the Rat Pack? Yeah, I've heard those stories. I can't even imagine. Uh-huh. I'm not a tall guy. I don't know how those guys did it. But still a mark of masculinity, but class. Mm-hmm. It's this beautiful balance. Of course, they loved women, but it seemed like they respected women. Yeah. You know? It was, it was, it could be, you know, there were, there were times when it was chauvinistic, but at the same time, they, they truly did love them. Yeah. You know? Chivalrous. Chivalrous, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's an interesting group. And it, it's nice to have those icons in the past as we can have new ones there in mm-hmm. the future. The well, last question is, you're heading to Portland. Is the next week or the week after that? Oh, Saturday. Dude. I leave on Saturday. I come back the following Sunday. Portland. That's eight days in Portland. Cocktail week. Yeah. Lots of work you should be doing. What are you looking 
forward to most going out to the festival, the conference, as you will? Um, you know, what am I looking forward to the most? I'm looking forward to meeting new people. Yeah. Um, I am looking forward to uh, seeing Portland. I've never been before. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'll tell you the most, uh, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is mm-hmm. seeing my team. Uh, you know, hanging out with with Shauna from Chicago and mm-hmm. Reza from San Francisco and Phil from Miami. Uh, the four of us out there yeah. um, are really, really, w- there's seven of us ambassadors for Casa Noble around the country and uh, only four of us are going to Portland. Yeah. But we are such a tight family um, and just being around them again is really what I'm looking forward to the most. Your own rat pack, yeah? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Our own little rat pack. Drinking a shit ton of tequila, potentially, oh. or because maybe the marketing company is listening, responsibly sharing the beautiful nature. Exactly. And flavors. Exactly. Casa no tequila. And just spreading spreading the uh, the noble pursuit. There we Oh, it's clever. Mm-hmm. Very, very clever. Aaron, you know, this has been a long time coming, mate. Yeah. And uh, this has been just a pleasure sipping this tequila with you, talking about your life. And I'm always taken aback by the vast experiences of some of the guests I've had, the ways that they've lived, the places they've gone, and how they can inspire other people. So thank you for taking the time Of course, thank out, you. Man. You know, it's been a pleasure for me, and we'll have to keep in touch. And we're going to sip some more in Nejo. Absolutely, and, uh, and that single barrel repo I brought you as well. There is no doubt. That guy. We will. That guy's a lot of fun. I hope so. We'll see. We'll explore <laughs> it. Yeah. Aaron, thanks so much. Chat soon. My pleasure. Thank you all. So there we have it. What do you guys think of Mr. Aaron Kolitz, the vice president of the USBG here in Austin, Texas, and a great ambassador for Agave, but specifically Casa Noble. Again, a very generous guy. He's introduced me to some amazing tequilas in a time when, I've got to be frank, tequila is not necessarily my thing. But he is here for the community. He's here to talk and very, very engaged. He's a really a good example of, you know, setting your career straight, having goals too. It's one of these things he's... Really a good mentor for us all. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. And no matter how many times you think that old actors aren't good in horror movies, as is the case with Ghost Story, or if you're thinking, I gotta stop watching Beat Bobby Flay, please keep dancing. <laughs>